When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, we leave without delay and go to the place which you indicated in an oblique, yet to us, understandable way. We are, after all, your dear friends. Welcome to Winds Howling, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring a larger context of the story from the games and novels. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. And dear friend, how are you tonight? <laughs> well, dear friend. Is that okay that I can say that? It's well. better than Geralt doing it, right? <laughs> yeah, much better than Geralt doing it. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to get into that. Brett, we are diving into episode six today. The end is in sight, sir. How tired are you? <laughs> I am a buzz because as we've kind of gone over it's kind of fascinating when you kind of really dissect these things of how episode one for me personally episode one is just as high as you can get and then two and three just goes way back down and then four and five for me has just been building back up and so it's just kind of i've been really roller coastering so far and as usual i really kind of wait for that final verdict and judgment until we really talk it out so even right now my arms are kind of up in the air like I really don't know. Yeah. No, I'm excited to get into it. The, I look forward to these talks every week. Of course, before we dive into today's episode, let's take care of some housekeeping. First and foremost, a spoiler warning. Today's episode is spoiler-free in terms of the TV show. Yes, we have seen the rest of the season. No, we won't be talking about anything beyond episode six today. That having been said, we do like to bring in some light speculation from the larger Witcher canon from the books and the video games. So be warned, there may be some light spoilers from the books and video games. Also, we love to hear from listeners. So reach out to us at windshowlingpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about the season, share your own insights and observations. And of course, let us know what you think of our opinions that we express here on the show. We'd love to hear all of it. And actually, Brett, speaking of emails, Let's jump into our mailbag section today because we have two perspectives today about how Siri was treated by the Witchers in Kermoran, which I know is your favorite topic to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's just never ending and now it's hanging over my head. <laughs> but I brought this upon myself, so lay it on me. Alrighty, so this first email is from Maddie Ghost. I hope I'm saying your name right, Maddie. I apologize if I'm not. Maddie shared a lot of thoughts on season two. And we can't read her entire email because there may be spoilers for future episodes, but here's a little bit of what she wrote. I have not coached D1 basketball, but I did play sports from the earliest I can remember up through the end of high school, and I still watch sports constantly now across all levels. Gotta say, I agree with Brett. Yes. That kind of behavior would not fly in a team that had the kinds of experience gaps and power dynamics that exist between Siri, a child, and these grown-ass witchers. Coaching is also not a one-size-fits-all deal. Some kids might respond well to the kind of pressure the witchers put on Siri, but other kids don't, and forcing them to put up with an aggressive coaching style they don't mesh with usually does not produce good results. I think that was just Lambert being an asshole, and it didn't really work for me until the point in the season where Siri does begin to build mutual trust and respect with the Witchers. Wow. Maddie really agrees with your views. Yeah, and it's, like I said, I've kind of, when I've thrown that out, I've heard a lot about it. And yeah, it's pretty much the point that I was trying to make as well there, that it's a child and it's not the same. And I've actually heard another interesting take from somebody else who said that it was almost like Navy SEALs training, like the BUDS training mm. that they do. And like, I'm like, okay, that's actually a very interesting angle to it. The only thing is, it's not a child that is going through 
the Navy SEALs training. Right. And it's also not, <laughs> it's the failure of not having the relationships between the Witchers really hit that in games, books, everything else that's been done, it's a brotherhood. That's the one thing that even Lambert, who can be just kind of prickly jerk, he respects Geralt and they have this mutual respect. And so when Geralt brings this girl, they're all like, what the hell is she doing here? He's like, she's our destiny. She's more than that. Like, that's it. And it's like, okay, that's it. We're going to take her under her wing. We're going to train her. Like, we're going to mm-hmm. be nice to her in the sense of at least push her, but it's always pushing from a loving perspective that they want her to succeed. This, and in a way like the Navy SEALs budge trainings, when you're trying to separate the wheat from the, or wheat from the chaff or whatever, it's different. And in this, it's just was kind of that little thing that I just hope people kind of realize what I'm saying. And I think Maddie did so. Thank you. More emails like that, please. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing, Maddie. We agree with you 100%. And I'm glad we get to bring some sports talk to this podcast. Okay, next up, we have another email, Brett, about the same topic, actually, but a slightly different perspective. This one's from Whitney Block. She writes, I wanted to talk about my perspective on the douchey frat vibes of the witchers at Kaer Morin. In most circumstances, as a girl, when you're entering a boys-only space or group, this douchiness is the attitude you will face, at least in my experience. Slights on gender, exclusion, humiliation, unfortunately, all very familiar feelings for girls who, for one reason or another, have found themselves in a group of boys. Part of me really enjoyed seeing the dynamic unfold in series Stay at Kaer Morin. I really felt for her, and it reminded me of times in my childhood when I was treated poorly by dudes for being a girl. Wow, I loved that email. I'm so glad Whitney wrote this to us. Because this is, quite frankly, a perspective that we can't have. We're just two dudes sharing our views on the show, and we don't have the same experiences that Whitney or another young girl finding herself in a group of boys might have. So I'm really glad that she wrote to us. For sure. Like, that is something I would like to think that we might have thought of. But you're right, having never been in that situation... And never having anybody really close to me in that situation, that yeah, it's it makes perfect sense when it's spelled out in front of you like that. Yeah. Awesome email, Whitney. Thank you so much. We're grateful. And emails like that are a reminder to all of us that art is subjective and it speaks to everyone in different ways based on our own unique life experiences. All right, Brett, let's jump into today's episode. We'll start with our summary and then we'll dive into some deep dive takeaways. And finally, we'll wrap up with our big picture thoughts of this episode. So season two, episode six is titled Dear Friend. And we open up with Siri and Geralt traveling from Kaer when they're suddenly attacked by a Shurnabog. A couple of things to point out in this scene. First, it's clear that Siri is upset with Geralt about what he did in the last episode and accuses him of not giving a shit about what she wants. And Geralt responds in a truly savage but honest way. He says, quote, You want to kill yourself trying to become a mutant. So if you survive, you can kill yourself trying to get revenge. Which part did I miss? End quote. (laughs) Iconic parent shit. I loved it. Yeah, and this really brings up something that has always worried me, and I think I've brought it up before, and it really kind of comes to light in this episode. If you know where Siri is going or where she's supposed to go or where she went in the books, then to me, it's just kind of sticking out. I just hope they don't go the Arya Stark, badass killer assassin thing. And I like that they're hitting on here, at least Geralt really kind of laying at least this groundwork or nugget in her mind or kernel or whatever you want to call it about revenge and about obsessing with it and about obsessing with killing. And so when that comes there, I'm like, okay, good, good. Because I'm telling you, it's my number one fear that they will do that to Siri. what happened with Arya, and just will completely miss the point of character arcs, especially series. I agree. And I think something that Siri has that Arya didn't is someone like Geralt in her life. Someone to sort of call her on her bullshit like this and to guide her in some respects. The other thing I wanted to call out from this scene is, oh my God, Roach dies, Brett. 
I you texted okay. me about this so when here, you first watched it. <laughs> so when I first watched this was on a plane on the way home from that Netflix trip that I had. Uh-huh. And again, when it happened, I'm like, oh my God, all of the things that have happened so far that I thought people were going to complain about. Because remember, this is, I knew it would happen with Eskel. I knew all of that, but no one else knew about it because the show wasn't out yet. I was like, this is going to get people like mad or just, you know, not really mad, but just upset about it. And you know what? There really wasn't much backlash or people upset about it. No. I couldn't believe it. Like, they Roach. And then they show Roach like gashed. And then just <laughs> like winning and slowly dying. I was like, oh my God, they fucking killed Roach. They actually killed Roach. Yeah, no, it's a sad scene. And Geralt in this moment actually takes a minute to say this heartfelt goodbye to his companion before, you know, kind of putting Roach out of its misery. He says this little prayer. And a little fun fact, actually, about this scene is after the fact, once the show had come out and there had been some discussion, Lauren Hisrick, the showrunner, tweeted out the original script for this scene, which was actually quite different. And it turns out that Henry Cavill is the one that wanted this moment to be a little longer and a little more emotional. And thus the scene was changed because of what he wanted. Basically, Geralt makes a somewhat, I didn't really take it as jokey, or it could have been, but how you deliver it always matters, of saying something to the likes of, you were my favorite roach. Hitting on the fact that Geralt has tons of horses because they all fucking die all the time. Okay? <laughs> right. So I'm going to ask you this, and I ask this to all the uh, listeners out there as well. Which scene is more accurate to Geralt's character that we have known it from the books? Wow. It's a no-brainer. Don't give me that wow. It's a no-brainer. Really? Uh, I don't know. I'm, Geralt in the books. I'm a little do you, stumped. Do you think Geralt in the books ever gave two shits about any roach or would have said a prayer? The whole point was he had a ton of them. He didn't care about them. That's true. And once again, to your point from earlier in the season, I feel like I'm a, pretty affected by the games because he's much nicer to roach in the of games. Of course, because we all have it. <laughs> and like I said, I've been on recently played Red Dead Redemption 2. I named the horse Roach. And I did too. Of course. Why? What would we name him? <laughs> and all the time riding around, hey, good girl. Oh, that's a good girl. And like, you know, Arthur's saying, yes. And I'm just like, okay, good. It's a horse because that's what we are. Yeah, I just find yeah. it fascinating. In this moment, Lauren, the showrunner, did a accurate book Geralt representation and characterization. And then Henry Cavill changed it because he wanted it to be more emotional. Yeah. And now I'm fine with it. Honestly, it's perfectly fine. I like the original one. Because I like that wink to the audience about the roaches. And then people gave her, a lot of people gave her shit for like the initial, the original one. And I'm like, hold up, you people give her shit because, for changing stuff and for not doing the characterization right. This is doing it right. She did it right there. That's Geralt from the books, dead on 100%. And then she gets shit for not doing it. So it's one of those things where so many people that complain about things, they're just complaining about things they don't like. And it's not about being accurate to the books. Okay, ran over. Mini ran over. <laughs> No, you're, you're absolutely correct. I agree 100%. And I also love the fact that both of our red dead horses are named Roach. Of course, of course <laughs> they were. And mine never, mine never died. Did yours ever die? No, I go to okay. great lengths to keep my horse alive. I will run. <laughs> like I will hear the horse and I will see it on the mini map. And I will literally run by like enemies <laughs> yeah. to go like oh, yeah. stick the life thing. And I was like, this horse is not fucking dying. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. Continuing with our episode, in Kaer Morin, Triss and Vesemir are suddenly attacked by Reince, who escapes with a vial of mutagen-containing Ciri's blood. I, we got to pause and talk about this scene a little bit, because I have so many issues with it. Namely, how the hell did Reince find Kaer Morin, this ultra-secretive witcher keep? Can we really call it that? It seems to be like it's fucking open house up there. Yeah, with everyone and, yeah. they bring back and who's showing up. <laughs> For real. I mean, I guess in the show, all he had to do was go to the sex workers in the nearby town and ask for directions and he'd find his way. You know, honestly, like, yeah, I guess maybe who knows? Maybe that was cut or something. I don't know. Yeah, that just boggles me. The fact that Ryan just shows up here. Putting that aside, the other issues I have with the scene are how the fuck does Triss, who is one of the best mages of Eratusa, and Vesemir, who is one of the oldest and most experienced witchers on the entire continent, 
get their asses handed to them by this dude just throwing fireballs around. Yeah, the whole, um, first off, I love Rince. I actually really do like his portrayal. I love the snap. And then it had like, oh, that was cool. So if they wanted to do it for that reason, okay. It was more show than substance. Because, yeah, he's, not only is he at Kaer Morin, he's down in the laboratory, which or the laboratory, which is, isn't that like in the bowels, if you will? Isn't it down there? Yeah. Am I just, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just thinking that from the games because that's where it is in the games. But it's definitely not going to be, you're not going to have a laboratory up, at, up top. You're going to have that down low. So where did, I don't know where he kind of portaled in. He portaled around all the other <laughs> useless witchers. Like, is Lambert still guarding where the sex workers are outside? <laughs> just. For real, for real. I mean, there's magic going off in the basement and no other witcher is responding. None of their medallions are, it, it's just, I know I'm nitpicking and I realize it's whatever. It's not the end of the world. But this scene, I just could not even focus on anything happening because I was, I was just like, why is any of this happening? What's yeah. Happening? And I, so, and I just defended you know, them trying to keep things, you know, accurate to characters and everything like that. And yeah, I can't, it can't really do that here because I, it, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad Rince was on screen, but you're right. There's just fine line when you're talking about witchers who are these superhuman fighters. And I know Rince is a mage. Yeah. The only thing I can think of really is who is helping Rince, the person behind him. And right. I do believe that is something from the books that he was helped. Yes. So the thing I think of here is he's able to take on a veteran witcher and a mage by himself because of who is helping him. That's a great point. And that can be my headcanon for now, just to be able to come to terms with this. You're right. I will believe that <laughs> to come to terms with it as well. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, let's continue. We next go to Sintra, where Frangilla and Francesca have a little walk and talk action. They're chatting. They're sharing a little bit about their pasts. And the topic then turns to Kyer's return. Quote, it's time for him to stop thinking he's in power. You are. End quote. That's the advice that Francesca gives to Frangilla here. Right on cue, Kyer rides up and reminds Frangilla of why they attacked Sintra in the first place. To find Siri. To find this girl of destiny. And if you look real close, there's like a split second shot of Dara walking by and looking over his shoulder and doing a bit of a double take. And he clearly overhears this discussion. Remember, Dara is here on a secret plan working for Dijkstra, the spy master of Redania. Yeah, Dara is actually framed like front and center of the shot. So mm -hmm. I would think most people would, you know, pick it up because right, he really does like a, huh? Like turns his <laughs> head like, oh, like, oh, interesting. I'm not a spy. <laughs> right, right. I do like that they're planting these seeds between there because it's true. Frangilla and Francesca are partners. They're together. Francesca is there because of Frangilla. She's helped them out. She's made the home for the elves. And I do like that she's saying, hey, we're not loyal to Nilfgaard. We're loyal to you. We have a partnership with you, and that is it. So I am really glad that they kind of laid that groundwork for that. Yeah, it's clear that there's unrest within the Nilfgaardian camp and that Fringilla's decision here maybe doesn't super align with Nilfgaard's overall mission. And she kind of went rogue. And that's something that comes up later too. Now, next we jump back to Geralt and Ciri who are continuing their journey. And she opens up to Geralt. She tells him about how she unleashed her powers and killed those four boys back in season one. Geralt's response is played off as a bit of a laugh, but I think it also comes off as pretty reassuring as well. Quote, only four? You've got some catching up to do. Okay. End quote. Okay. Hold <laughs> up. What? Okay. What is he getting at? What is he trying to say? I guess he's just trying to reassure her that there's lots of bloodshed in this world and that if she wants to be anything like him, he's got more blood on his hand than she does. Okay. Now? As, uh -huh. I, as I mentioned before, how much You're I like somewhere. There you go. How much <laughs> I liked before what Geralt told her. This right here is what sent the absolute flare, dozen red flags up about the Arya Starkization of Siri. Because Geralt's literally just saying, don't revenge. He's basically saying, we're not killers. We only do to need. Like Geralt literally just said the opposite of this. If, he, if this is what he means, what else could he mean, though? No, you're right. Like, looking at it from that perspective, this is a bit of a red flag because it goes against the thing he said 
right at the top of this very episode. But it's also, to me, a red flag of their characterization of him because they've done a great job of Geralt being reserved in that manner of saying, this is not about revenge. We only kill when needed to help people, to save people. And then this line right here, I'm telling you, I, I almost had to pause it because it just sent my brain into a <laughs> ditch because it's just everything, everywhere Geralt was going for episodes was literally just thrown off right here. And I'm just like, did they do it for, are we supposed to laugh at that? Why are you cutting the line with Roach because we want an emotional moment, but you're putting this in if it's for a laugh? Yeah, that is a really great point, Brett. I hadn't thought of it that way. I think this truly was really played off as like a MCU style quip. Absolutely. 100%. I completely agree. That's probably why I hated it so much. <laughs> but it's beyond that. Like, I'm fine with a little moment of levity. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But like, do it in something else, maybe? I don't know. I, I just, it's, I don't know. I, I I don't know what to make of it. I'm I'm really trying not to just make a complete judgment on it. But I, this is just absolutely confounding me. I don't know what to make of it. And everything I do think of it, I just absolutely hate. No, I think your concern, I think your concern here is totally warranted. And I'm glad you brought that perspective of, because I just kind of laughed this off as a quip and didn't think too much into it. But I think, I think you're spot on. Siri and Geralt in the next scene arrive at the temple of Melitele or Melitele, depending on how you pronounce that. And we learned that Geralt himself had been sent to the temple when he was young. This is apparently where witchers go to learn how to use signs. Siri is welcomed to the temple by Nenica, and she is introduced to Jar or Jare. I forget how they pronounced it in the show. Once she goes off with Jar, Nenica has a conversation with Geralt where they talk about Siri and she uh, she keeps it real with them. Quote, she's a fucking tinderbox. End quote. <laughs> they talk about how so many people are after Siri, and Geralt may have bitten off more than he can chew. Destiny has given him a huge responsibility here. I also want to say this is our first time visiting the temple, and I think the set here really looks incredible. It exceeded my expectations, and it definitely wasn't how I imagined the temple in my mind reading the books. For some reason, I imagined it older and a bit more run down, but I liked this interpretation of it as well. Good set design. Yeah, I guess I've always, just whenever I hear temple in something, unless it's really described specifically, I generally do just think of a medieval style like cathedral with maybe just more gardens if they say that or something. I also like that this is where they send the witchers to learn the science because it is magic and it makes sense you would have you know, maybe either some mages or something more of the divine or something to do it. So I did, I did like that uh, introduction, if you will. Yeah. I've been meaning to ask you, Brad, I don't, I don't think we've actually talked about this. What did you think of Nenica? The one thing, if someone were to ask me, how would you describe Nenica or what it would be? And I would be like, she keeps Geralt in check. She does not tolerate his bullshit at all. It is a very grandmotherly relationship where they absolutely love and respect the shit out of each other, but she just does not have time for Geralt's bullshit. <laughs> and I think that was, <laughs> absolutely. Done, I think it was done very well. Yeah, I agree. I've heard some minor quibbles and criticisms online here and there about Nenica, and I disagreed with all of them. I think they did a great job with their character. In the was show. it character based or was it looks based? Uh, well, I'm sure it was a mix of both. Of course. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, the internet. So moving on, we return to Sintra in the next scene, where Phil Evandrel expresses to Francesca his doubts about the future of the elves and this elf-human alliance. Now that Kaihir is back, he's obviously here and he's ruffling some feathers, and people are worried what it means for the power dynamic here. He asks Francesca what she needs of him, and she says, just be here for me and the baby. And he does pledge his full support to do whatever it takes to be there to support her and the baby who is coming soon. Following that, we jump to Istrid, who, this was cool. He goes to the offices of Codringer and Finn, who I did not expect to see in this season. And he goes there to ask them about Ciri, 
and Nilfgaard and the monoliths. He wants to unravel this mystery and try and figure out what's going on. In his conversation with Codringer and Fenn, Istrid mentions a gene that keeps showing up in Ciri's female ancestors. And Codringer and Fenn think perhaps there's a connection here to Lara Torin. We have talked about this on the podcast before in one of our previous takeaways. This question of Ciri's bloodline and the prophecies surrounding her and what her elder blood means and what it could all mean for her and her destiny and the fate of the world. I think it's important when you have scenes like this that are pure exposition, they're pure talking. And with this bloodlines and ancestors, I'm sure on paper, on script, it can be very dry and worrying that, oh man, this is not going to work. It's just not entertaining. But it helps, like here, when you have actors who make it so. And then, yeah, Cotteringer and Finn and those actors too, like they sell it as if these two kind of kooky people, which is exactly what I got from the books, is that they're, they're kind of out there. You know, they're just pouring over these tomes and histories and all that. And as they're talking about all this, I'm like, okay, because this stuff was kind of a little bit dry in the books as well. But here it's like, oh man, it's, it's actually working. So credit again to finding these actors that could pull it off. Absolutely. I thought the casting was spot on. And I agree with you. I've found myself dozing off a bit during the Codringer and Fen chapters, even in the books. It's pretty dry, like heavy lore shit. And I think the show has handled it well, did a good job of making it quite interesting and using it to build up this suspense about Siri and the bloodlines and this gene, all of the things that become important later in the story. Very cool stuff. I also quickly want to commend the show for its representation here with Cotteringer and Fenn and showing differently abled people on screen. I think that's super important, and I'm glad we got to see that in the show too. Moving on, we head back to the temple where a very nervous Yare gives Siri the orbaculum to begin her training here at Melitale's temple. We see Yen is also here at the temple, admiring the architecture, as she tells Yare. Oh, and also, she's totally tailing Siri, following her around this temple. And we know why she's doing that, because of the cliffhanger ending of the previous episode. She walks in on Geralt, and the two lovers reunite with a kiss, just as Siri also walks in. Sort of a cute, awkward scene. And this is where we get the titular dear friend. Geralt introduces Yen by saying, quote, this is my dear friend. This is Yennefer. End quote. <laughs> yeah, there, there it is. <laughs> there it is. There's a lot more to say about dear friend, and we have thoughts and feelings, but put a pin in it. We're going to revisit this in the takeaway. For now, let's continue the summary. Back in Sidra, Kai here and General Hake are chatting, and they're clearly annoyed by the fact that Fringilla has gone rogue and made this alliance with the elves. They walk in on the elves doing some training, and Kai here decides he's going to spar with Dara. He is a bit too aggressive, which pisses Philavandril off. Philavandril straight up draws a blade to his throat. But before anything can escalate too much, a messenger runs out and says that Francesca has gone into labor. The baby is coming. And thus, she gives birth to a healthy baby girl. There's a bit of a scare. We thought the baby wasn't going to make it, but everything's A-OK. -okay. And the elves are ecstatic. They start partying it up, and Frangilla is giddy. Everyone's happy. Sintra is alight with cheers and probably lots of drinking and partying. I do love like them showing the elves just partying and going crazy, because it's a big deal. Yeah. It is, it is. And actually, later in the takeaways, we're going to dive into some elf history and biology and talk about why it's such a big deal, because it really is. It's a huge deal. This scene then wraps up with Kai here walking in on Frangilla. She's looking down over the partying masses and telling her that he has received word from the White Flame himself. The Emperor will be arriving any day now. After that, we jump back to the temple where Geralt, Yen, and Ciri are sharing a meal together and discussing a particular unicorn. Geralt makes things even more awkward by bringing up his meeting with Istrid, another of Yen's dear friends, as he puts it. Iconic. Loved it. Ciri is 
very much feeling the sexual tension in the air and excuses herself from dinner to go study and work on this orbaculum. So this is the first scene with them three together, right? I believe it is. Yeah. So I don't know. What did you think of it? Because again, this is the crux of the story. The absolute crux of the entire series of everything are these three right here. And it kind of, I don't know, I, I guess I maybe just thought it would be a heavier moment. Like maybe when Siri and Geralt first met, or maybe when Geralt and Yen were kind of first together. I thought maybe it could be, but, you know, maybe it really wasn't the books either. So I don't know. I just kind of felt like they would really hit on the importance of it or just this is a monumental moment, I guess. Yeah, I thought it was a cute scene and I actually quite enjoyed it, but I couldn't shake the weird feeling and obviously the show intended for this feeling to exist that subtext of knowing why yen is really there right to like kind of capture siri and whisk her off to sintra and make this make this deal with with the goddess it was hard to shake that feeling of weirdness all throughout this episode yeah that whole yen siri thing i guess we're gonna hit on that when it comes to a head yeah yeah, we'll kick that can down the road. <laughs> right, right. Let's wrap up today's episode. few more scenes to get through. Later that night, Siri is helping Nanika light some candles in the halls of the temple. And they discuss Calanthe and all that's been hidden from Siri about her true powers. And Nanika offers some really sage wisdom here. I loved this line from her. Quote, sometimes our elders set out to protect us not knowing our strength, end quote. And I think what Nenica offers here to Siri is a different perspective, to look at these quote-unquote lies that she's been told as something perhaps more than just outright lies, and maybe it came from a place of love. Yeah, and it goes back to that idiom, it takes a village, and Siri is getting all of this information, or I should say advice, not necessarily information. She's getting all this advice from people that not only could be very helpful, but they're also very near and dear to Geralt. So she's especially going to be trustful of it. Yeah, definitely. It was a nice, quiet scene, and I, I quite enjoyed it. At the same time, Yen and Geralt are also walking through the halls. They're chatting. They're catching up. It's clear they have been apart from each other for some time now. And she tells him about running into Yaskir and writes, who she calls Firefucker, which is such a great name. Loved it. Right on cue, actually, Siri finds a wounded Yare and Reince arrives with the Michelet brothers. He's found his way, probably portaled his way to the temple. He's brought the Michelet brothers with him. And here is where we get our third act fight scene for this episode. Geralt fights the brothers as Reince follows Yen and Siri, who have run off into, I guess, a room, like a broom closet with no exits. <laughs> Not the brightest of ideas, but... Sure. I do want to shout out some of the choreography and cinematography in the fight scene. I thought it was really well done. And in particular, that Ard stab move thing that Geralt does. Very cool. I remember out loud just being like, oh! <laughs> <Just> hooting and hollering. <laughs> yeah, this one got me. Some of the fight scenes this season didn't do it for me, particularly with the monsters. But this was cool. This was well done. This fight scene is also a callback, if you will, or not even homage because it's its own show, of the Renfrey fight or Renfrey's band fight from the very first episode. I believe it was also, I'm kind of, might be talking out of my ass here, but a new stunt coordinator or a new fight coordinator as well. Because I believe the first season was Vladimir, I can't remember his name, the guy that was the Night King in Game of Thrones. I think he was like a fight coordinator. I do not believe he returned for this season. And it, among other things, like the music we talked about. You know, the composer was also new. So I'm kind of, it's kind of weird, but I think maybe COVID probably played into that. Like just other things they probably had to do. But it was good. It's fun to see that just spectacle like crazy. And just, yeah, Geralt just ripping shit. <laughs> <laughs> ripping shit indeed. Okay, let's round out the episode. One tiny scene to end it for us. Triss portals to Eratusa and in a panic tells Tysaia about Ciri. Quote, a drop of her blood could change the world. In the wrong hands, she will destroy it. End quote. And roll credits, baby. Episode six. 
All right, with the summary out of the way, we're going to take a quick break. But stick around, because when we come back, we'll dive into our key takeaways. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, folks. Let's now dive into our two key takeaways from this episode. So let's talk about takeaway number one. This episode, of course, is titled Dear Friend, and we get that little cringy moment where Geralt introduces Yen to Siri. There's a lot more to that line, and it's handled quite differently in the books. This was actually a big change, for better or worse. So let's dive into how the book handled it and how the show handled it and how we felt about it. So Siri, Triss, Geralt, all of them are at Kaer Morin. They're trying to help Siri out. She's having these crazy visions and all that. They seem to be much more extreme in the books than here. And basically, Triss realizes, I'm not powerful enough to help her. We need somebody a little bit more experienced, and we all know who that is. And of course, Geralt's just, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's, it's Yen. And so he, he writes her a letter and starts it with, dear friend. Oh my gosh. And this is just, oh my God, this is what I love. What I love about book Geralt is that Geralt is just such a fucking dumbass. He's just such a, just <laughs> like a dweeb in that sense. Of just <laughs> dear friend, like what kind oh of God. moron would ever do that, would ever say that to somebody you've had a relationship with? <laughs> so obviously yeah. Yen is just not incensed in the way that we would think of Yen just like throwing lightning bolts everywhere. It's just, it's just Geralt, like this motherfucker. And it's it's so great. I love it. I love it so much. So I'm glad they included it, even though it wasn't done the same way. I'm glad they included it because it is just the best yeah absolutely it is so true that Geralt in the books is such a dweeb and it's kind of cute but also sad how much he like stresses over this letter in the yeah, book yeah and with with someone that you're sort of on and off with and you have deep feelings for dear friend Geralt not the move buddy not the move it might be the worst way to do it like <laughs> right? I think I think hey hey Yen <laughs> might have yeah. been better <laughs> So let's briefly talk about Yen's response, because like you said, Brett, absolutely iconic. She's not exactly angry in like a traditional way, but this is Yen we're talking about, folks. She is going to be sassy. She is going to be witty in her response. And boy, is she. It's iconic. She writes this lengthy letter back to Geralt, and we're going to share a couple of highlights and snippets here. The letter is like super, super long. We encourage you to read it yourself, but here are some highlights. Quote, Dear friend, your unexpected letter, which I received not quite three years after we last saw each other, has given me much joy. It worries and troubles me very much that the unexpected present you received from fate brings you worries. And I agree with your opinion that the help of yet another magician is absolutely necessary. I feel honored to be the second to whom you turn. What have I done to deserve to be so high on your list? Rest assured, my dear friend, and if you had the intention of supplicating the help of additional magicians, abandon it, because there is no need. I leave without delay and go to the place which you indicated in an oblique, yet to me, understandable way. I am, after all, your dear friend. Your valuable friendship is too important to me to disappoint you, dear friend. And she signs it, your friend, Yennefer. <laughs> I could not read that letter with a straight face. Well, no, of course not. <laughs> and this is one of those things, honestly, I, these are the questions that I would ask. How do you not put this in the show? Like, yes! how, how do you not literally, I would rework a large part of my story to get this in because this, 100%. this is a moment that, you literally have it shown in legible handwriting. You have it shown on the screen and it becomes a fucking meme. 
Yeah. How, how do you not have her say these lines? Like, this is just per- the passive aggressiveness here, again, <laughs> is just so perfect from Yen to be slighted. Like, oh, my God, you can do a lot of things to her. But if you slight her in any way, especially like this, I just, I'm, I know I'm talking to circles, but how do you leave this out? How was this left out? I feel the same. This is easily my favorite part of Blood of Elves, of the novel. It's such a highlight. It's such an iconic letter. Like if you say Yen's letter to any Witcher fan who's read the books, they know exactly what you're talking about. And to your point, this would have made such an incredible on-screen moment and such a memeable on-screen moment. Your friend, your valuable friendship is too important. I feel honored to be the second to whom you turn. There are some absolute 10 out of 10 bangers in this letter from Yen. And you're 100% spot on. You can piss Yen off. You can break her heart, but you do not slight her. She will not let you live that down. And she certainly doesn't hear to Geralt. It's so funny in the books when he gets this letter. You can imagine his face just turning red with embarrassment as he's reading this. How do you even finish so it? <laughs> <laughs> like he just died of embarrassment. His balls just yeah. shriveling up. <laughs> uh, so good. And I agree with you that I am so bummed that this was not incorporated in some way. I'm not asking for the whole letter to be in there, but include some of these lines in the dialogue and maybe include some of this correspondence back and forth between Geralt and Yen. I desperately wish this had been included in the show in a more significant way, especially considering it's the title of this whole episode. Oh, yeah. As soon as it's the clearly epi- significant, as soon as the episode titles were released, this one stood out to me. Like the most, it honestly got my hopes up when we didn't know anything that maybe they were going to somehow fit a short device in and it just be like somehow he fits that in with Istrid. Oh, my dear friend. I thought that was it, but obviously that was wishful thinking. Wishful thinking indeed. It's a bummer. Okay, Brett, let's talk about our second takeaway today because we got to address why these elves are throwing a massive party over just a single baby girl being born. We've discussed on this podcast before the history between humans and elves, the very fraught, very bloody history of humanity and the elven race. And we have seen a lot of that relationship in this season. And we see it quite directly in this episode with how Kaihir and General Hake approach the elves who are training. And then Kaihir gets real aggressive and up in Dara's face. That's a very tense moment. And it shows us that even the Nilfgaardians, who at this point are ostensibly allied with the elves, treat them like second-class citizens. Even if you're allied, even if you are going to be fighting with Nilfgaard, they're still going to look down on you. And that, I think, is what the show is really hammering home. And it's a big part of the Witcher universe, these fraught race relations between the elves, the dwarves, the humans. And to the point about Francesca's pregnancy and the baby and why it's such a big deal, the show and books make it clear that humanity at this point in history has come to dominate the continent. And the elves have slowly been dying out for centuries by this point as humans have continued to dominate the continent. There's actually a bit of lore from the season of elves uh, expansion. I'm not a Gwent person. Was that an expansion or just like a season, Brett? If it's the season of elves, that's every, like every year there's a season, a certain month is. I want to say that that's somewhere like April or May, something like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. I'm not a huge Gwent person, so I wanted some clarification on that. So during a season of the elves event in Gwent, we actually got a bit of lore about elven history. And this is what it said. Quote, although the Einshade surpass humans in longevity, magical aptitude, and knowledge of the natural world, they are at a disadvantage in one important regard, fertility. Although elves can live for centuries, they can only conceive children during their youngest years. Even then, only one out of every two or three couples will successfully bear a child. End quote. Wow. Yeah, this goes back to also, again, something they they haven't really mentioned in the show, Aelorin's last stand, Aelorin's blaze of glory, where Aelorin, the elf, led a bunch of other elves, primarily young, on this 
last gasp to basically attack the humans for their homeland and all these elves were slaughtered and it wasn't just that it was a lot of elves slaughtered it was primarily younger ones and basically that was almost the death knell or some would say the death knell for the elven race was this aileron's attack and it's just a matter of time before the other ones simply cease to exist yeah it's brutal stuff i mean they just can't compete with human numbers and that's why it's such a huge deal that francesca gives birth to a healthy baby daughter Every new elf born is this tiny ray of hope for the future of the elven race. It's the thing that Francesca is so desperately chasing. And I wanted to mention, speaking of human-elf relationships, beyond just the fertility issue, there's also this issue of displacement. Elves are second-class citizens on this continent. Their homes, their lands, their temples have all been either ransacked or burned to the ground or simply taken over. Eratusa is a clear example. Istra tells Yen back in the first season that Eratusa was built on elven ruins. So not only do the elves have this reproduction problem where they can't keep up with humanity's numbers, but they also don't have a place to call their own. They don't have a home from which to even try to rebuild their race, to start anew. And it's one thing, too, that we, or that I should say I have really failed to mention there's a natural alliance between Nilfgaard and the elves, not just because the Northern Realms and the elves have always been fighting and it was their land and blah, blah, blah. It's just that Nilfgaard basically going way back actually has an elven heritage, if you will, based on the language as well. Nilfgaard is this mix of like elder speech with what it evolved into. And so there's always kind of been at least that cousins, if you want to call it. But make no mistake about it, like Nilfgaard does not see the elves as anything other than what you see in the show. Definitely. It's it's heartbreaking stuff. It's tragic stuff. And I think the show this season has done a good job of really making you feel for the elves, to feel their pain, to feel sympathy for their plight in this universe. I will say, you mentioned this last episode, I believe, but the Scoia'tael came up at one point in our conversation. And the Scoia'tael, very briefly, are just this band of elven terrorists. Whoa, who play hold, a pretty hold up. What? No. Freedom fighters. <laughs> Freedom fighters, that's Freedom right. Freedom <laughs> fighters. I'm literally holding right now, I'm holding up my Scoia'tael leather, custom-made Scoia'tael leather wallet holder. So, oh, that's dope. Yeah, that's we, so will, cool. we will not have so cool. terrorist slander on the Scoia'tael. You're right, you're but, right. But you are, you are correct. They do commit atrocities of their own. I mean, that goes without saying. It's a chicken or the egg thing. It's they commit atrocities against the humans because they committed atrocities against them who committed atrocities against them, da, 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 da. So, you know, it's that kind of never-ending thing that comes down to. But it was definitely more morally gray. And so, yeah, the exclusion of the Scoia'tael is a question uh, 753 that I would ask. <laughs> not, not like interrogate me like with a pitchfork, why are you putting him in there? I would just w want to know that's a lot of that gray area of having the square tail in because right now it is very one-sided if you watch this show and you don't understand or you don't sympathize with the elves you're just uh, yikes yeah, yeah very <laughs> unempathetic i guess at best right. i should say you're unempathetic <laughs> yeah we we've talked a lot on the podcast about how the witcher is known for this moral gray exploring the grays in every situation and i think the show has made it pretty black and white with the elves so far like the elves are an oppressed race and you really do feel for them, at least in these first six episodes. And for me personally, I'm still holding out hope that we'll see the Scoia'tael at some point, maybe next season, maybe in future seasons, but I do miss their presence. Okay, Brett, you knew this question was coming. What did you think? Wrapping up today, big picture thoughts about episode six. I'm enjoying it. I, not as much as the previous two. And I'm going to steal one of your lines on here <laughs> that says so many storylines they're trying to cram in. And I've said that before time and time again. They are being very ambitious. And I love it. I love it. What they're trying to do. It's just the eight episodes. So much is going on that when you do that many storylines and when you get that many characters, you really have to flesh out the moments with the characters that matter. And if you're going to have a lot of characters and a lot of storylines, it in a weird way has to be slower 
Because otherwise, if it's just action, boom, 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 go, 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 it doesn't matter. Like when things hit, it's just not going to land. Or when shit hits the fan, it's just not really going to land. And so that would be kind of saying, I guess more or less, um, it was okay. It was good. It was fine. You know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it, I would place it right there in the middle, you know, two and three to me, I just really did not care for it at all. One, five and six, I thought were just amazing. And this would be somewhere right in the middle there that they're, you know, really setting up. Cause now, I mean, there are two episodes left. How about that? Yeah. I would agree with you. I also feel quite mixed about this episode. Like my biggest issue with this episode was it felt like there was too much crammed in. Writing the summary for our conversation today was so hard because <laughs> the show just kept cutting back and forth between these little like 60 second scenes. Yeah. And I was just like, shit, like how do I write this summary without it being this weird back and forth jumping you between don't. scenes thing? <laughs> you don't. You can't. Yeah. Otherwise we would jump back and forth like every 15, 20 seconds. Yeah, it's it's wild. And I think it just felt so frenetic and there were so many storylines and characters and plot that had to move forward in this episode that we didn't spend enough time with the part of the episode that I personally enjoyed a lot, which was everything that happened at the temple with Geralt and Yen and Siri and Nenica and the Michelet brothers. All of that was really spectacular stuff between the action scenes, the small character moments, and we just in between all of it, kept cutting to this other stuff that I honestly checked out every time we cut back to Sintra or we cut to somewhere else. I just picked up my phone, started looking (laughs) at a second screen and waited until we got back to the temple. My hottest take, and I will at this point die on this hill, defending this hill. (laughs) This show is going to have to go to 10 episodes a season if they're going to land what they're trying to do. They will not be able to keep doing this. They won't be able to keep it up. And if they keep this at eight episodes, being as ambitious as they are, I just don't know how in the world they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Please, Netflix, we beg you. Wellaboo, podcast or podcast, lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the path. You are listening to Winds Howling. (laughs) Here are sponsors. (laughs) Yeah, we should go very NPR. (laughs) Yeah, very NPR here. It, it is 1 a.m. Got my coffee here. You are listening <laughs> to Midnight Drive. ASMR.